Well, listen, open your Bibles, turn them on, uh, whatever you do, uh, to Luke. We're going to go into Luke's gospel this morning, and uh, we're going to go to Luke 17. So uh, get on over there if you would. And uh, thank you all for being If This is your first Sunday. Uh, we are, we're still figuring it out, so you're, you're going to help us know how to make this even better of an experience for all. Luke chapter 17, we're in a series called Breakout. And we've been talking about how that there are things in life that have the ability to cage us and keep us from walking in the adventure of faith that God has called us to. To keep us from walking and fulfilling the destiny of what it is to be a believer and a follower of Jesus Christ. And we've talked about things so far that, that I mean, we all relate to. There was the, the cage of responsibility. How sometimes we can make our responsibilities an excuse instead of following God. And that's, that's something we have to be careful with. That there is a point that sometimes in our faith it's okay to be responsibly irresponsible. You know, that, that some things don't have to take place if it means following the Lord. And then we talked about routine and how sometimes routine can be that rut that we get into where we just have a very predictable God. We have a very predictable experience. And the problem with that is, is we make no room for the Holy Spirit just to shake things up. And it's so important for us to, to break out of routines. But this week, we're going to kind of turn this up a notch and, and get a little more, I think, personal into, into what we're going to experience. Because today, we're going to talk about a cage that I think is one of the most deadly cages there is to the life of a believer, to a life of faith, to a life of adventure. And what we're going to talk about today is the cage of offense. In Proverbs, in Proverbs 18, it'll be on the screen, uh, verse 19, it says, an offended friend is harder to win back than a fortified city. Arguments separate friends like a gate locked with bars. Let's pray. Father, thank you, God, that we uh, can come today and study your word. God, thank you, Lord, that you speak loudly to us through it, God. Your Holy Spirit takes it and personalizes it to each one of us. And God, I just pray for break, breakthrough and breakout today, God. Father, we, we live in a world, God, where there's so much uh, of selfishness and sin, God, that, Lord, uh, hurt comes easy sometimes, God. But, Lord, you gave us a way out. And, God, you gave us a way to be healed and whole. So, God, open our hearts to this teaching today. God, let us be ready to experience all you would say to us. And I ask this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, we can do better than that. There you go. Got to work that out. I honestly don't want to teach this this morning. Have you ever heard a pastor say that? I'm like, if I, if I could have my brothers, I would go to something like really sweet and, you know, like, oh, yes, Jesus loves me, this I know. and He does. But he loves us enough that he deals with the real aspects of our lives. And the only way I could think about starting this sermon, and it may be a little cheesy, just go, hello, my name is Mike. And I'm an offender, and I've been offended. Would you like to join my support group? Because, you know, the truth is, every one of us, can join that support group at different parts of our lives. Every one of us can experience things that, that, that hurt or harm us. The truth of the matter is, according to Jesus' own words, in this life, in this world, you cannot avoid offense, but you can choose not to be offended. And that's what we're going to talk about today. Because you see, there's something about offense that is always right in front of us. There's always the opportunity to take hurt personalize it, and let it begin to take over our lives. But I can tell you this, that bait that Satan likes to throw out in front of us is just the temptation to not trust God, to trust ourselves only, and to go into a place where we no longer live the adventure of faith. You see, guys, of all the cages 
that we're going to talk about in this series. I really believe this is the most dangerous one. We're going to talk about this cage of offense. In my experience, I've been, I've been pastoring churches now for, it's hard to admit, for about 25 years. I'm not as old as I, you think I am, and we started young. But uh, in all my years of experience, can I tell you, this one cage, I've seen more people shrivel up and die in their faith than any other aspect. It's unique. It has something powerful about it. Why? Because the enemy of our souls would love to capture us in it. So today is my mission. This is, this is something I take so to heart. It is my mission to expose the lies of the enemy, to share what the nature of offense is, and how to avoid coming under its trap. Now, as we look at the Word of God this morning, Luke chapter 17, I, I think about the disciples of Christ, and I think, what a cool experience that had to be, right? Following Jesus, experiencing firsthand miracles. I mean, blind eyes open, dead raised to life, storms calmed. I mean, people fed with like a few loaves and a few fish. It, it was amazing to just be able to walk and see what Christ did. But it's interesting, if you follow their lives, they never had a problem with the miraculous, I think we would. We're like, man, this is freaking us out, Jesus. I don't know if I can follow someone that like turns water into wine and all that. You know, they never had a problem with the miraculous. Where they had a problem with was the teaching of Christ concerning this area right here. Pick it up in Luke's gospel, Luke chapter 17, verses 1 through 5. Jesus said to his disciples, things that cause people to stumble are bound to come. He says it's inevitable. It's, it's, it's going to happen. But woe to anyone through whom they come. It would be better for them to be thrown into the sea with a millstone tied around their neck than to cause one of these little ones to stumble. So watch yourselves. If your brother or sister sins against you, rebuke them. And if they repent, forgive them. Even if they sin against you seven times in a day and seven times come back to you saying, I repent, you must forgive them. Now, before you read verse 5, nobody was like, high five Jesus, that's awesome, right? No, here's what they said, and it's so interesting. The apostles said to the Lord, increase our faith. There's even an exclamation point there in the scripture. They're like, okay, miracles we get. The, you know, parting seas and water to wine we can handle, but you're asking us to forgive somebody? Even if they, if, if they offend us seven times in one day, Lord, you're saying repent. And Lord, the only way we can respond to that is, Lord, increase our faith. You see, according to Jesus, it's not a question whether, you're not, whether you and I have the opportunity to be offended, but it's our response to offense that determines our destiny. I mean, it's a sad fact, guys. That it's not a few that get caged into this, but it's many. It's many that, that, that take the bait and almost seeming like they don't even know it, find themselves trapped in this captive life that we call offense. Now, let's define what offense is this morning. Because it's not just a, it's not a little thing, it's not a big thing, it's, it's all the things combined together. You see, offense is when a person feels they've been treated unfairly, whether they have been or not. See, it's not even, it's not even abject you know, hurt, sometimes it's just perception. And they allow that injustice to turn into an offense that if not given to God, the scripture says becomes a root of bitterness. It becomes something that literally forms a trap around them to defeat their lives. And can I tell you, you can see it. I mean, honestly, think about that. You can see it. We all know what it is to be around an offended person, right? You can see them, and it's not by the fruit of the Spirit, not love, joy, peace, and all those wonderful things Jesus said ought to be evident in our lives. But when you see someone who's walking in a wounded spirit, they're easily hurt. They're easily angered. They're easily jealous and resentful. 
Strife, strife has a way of following them. When I think of the offended person, the offended believer, the, the one that's struggling with strife, it, it's kind of like every time you come around them, it's kind of like hugging a porcupine. You know what I'm saying? It's like it's no fun. You're, you're going to get hurt by it, and they're not going to feel warm and fuzzy either because there's just such to push away. It's like don't get near. Don't get close. You see, offense traps them into bitterness and hatred and envy. And before long, if they don't deal with it before the Lord, the consequences allow the trap to, to lead to division and separation, even from those they're close to, broken relationships. Guys, can you, can you witness this morning? It doesn't sound like a picture of the body of Christ, does it? But Jesus wasn't talking about people of the world. He was talking about followers of Jesus Christ. You see, the deceitfulness of offense, again, I believe it's the most deadly tool that Satan uses to, to trap the church and individual believers to become ineffective and impotent in their walk before God. James, the brother of Jesus, had to deal with this in some of his teaching to the early church. In James' uh, epistle, James chapter 3, verse 9, he speaks about kind of the, the, the conflicted part of a person that's offended. It says, with the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse men who've been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come both praise and cursing. My brothers, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can the salt spring produce fresh water. He says these things should not be. They, they shouldn't happen, but they do. We sometimes sit beside offended people when we go to church. We sometimes eat with offended people at home. We may be related to offended people, and don't start writing their names down this morning because you might be right there with them, who, who truly, I believe, want to follow Jesus, want to follow God and please Him with their lives, but they're trapped in the deceitfulness of offense. Can I tell you, you can be walking in the spirit of offense and not even know it because our pride says, no, not me. I'm over it. I'm good. I, it's those other people you're talking about, Pastor. I never have to deal with those things. But can I tell you how you know you're in the spirit of offense? In those random moments of time when you're out doing something else, all of a sudden someone's name or face or a memory comes, something inside of you just clutches deeply and it says, oh, oh. Can I tell you? You're still living in the spirit of offense because you've not been able to release that to God. See, Pastor Mike, how do you know this? Because I've been there. I know what it feels like. I, I liken it to this. I liken it to how, if you ever, any, any fishermen in the, in the house there, fisherwomen, that's not even a word, is it? Fishing people, you know, I am not, I'm not one of them, okay? I'm just not. My memories of fishing with my grandpa was not a lot of fun, okay? And probably one of those memories why it was not a lot of fun is because, you know those old reels where you punch the button and then you, you let it go? Well, my first experience was I punched the button, I let it go about here, so when I went there, the fish hook got hung here, not in the fish's mouth, in the back of my back. And can I tell you, I didn't want to fish anymore. It was not fun. And I, I like an offense that way. It's like when we don't deal with something, it's like we give the enemy this place in our, in our spirit where he can kind of put a hook in our lives. And all he has to do is kind of just, just lightly pop it. And boy, we just turn. It's a, it's a reflex. It's an action. Can I tell you, God doesn't want us to live that way. Church, God wants us set free from that. God wants us to be free people that, that live beyond offense, that, that allow us to focus on the good things of God and not get wrapped up in the things that, that seemingly we allow to, to define our lives. You see, we can become so wrapped up in offense that we become unable to fulfill the potential that God has in us, that he's birthed into our lives. And it's interesting that we live in a day that Jesus even predicted. He said, listen, this is something you're going to deal with in the days we live in because he likened it 
to the end times. Check it out, Matthew 24, verses 10 through 13. It says this. At that time, many will turn away from the faith and will betray and hate each other. And many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. Because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. But he who stands firm to the end will be saved. I've said it before, guys. The, the number one challenge of the, of the last days before the Lord returns is, is not necessarily false doctrine. It's not, it's not opposition. It's not the threat of persecution. It really is the threat of deception, of just not being able to see things clearly even about us. And I think the spirit of offense is one of those things that we don't see clearly. We're not able to really have a good perspective of it. Because offense is something that we kind of hold in here with pride and say, I'm better than that and I can, I can deal with it. But here's the challenge of offense, and I think this is why it becomes so strong. Offense typically comes from those who are closest to us. It's not, it's not easy to get offended by a stranger, right? You're like, eh, I'm not going to see him again. God bless you. But to those closest to us, it hurts deep. David was speaking about Saul. If you, if you read the Old Testament, David was a young man that God anointed to be king, but there was already a king named Saul. And David came up under him to learn from him. And, and Saul was jealous, and he, and he really literally went after David's life. And David was crying out in the Psalms, and he was speaking about, about how hurtful it was that someone so close to him was coming after him. In Psalm 55, he says, If an enemy were insulting me, I could endure it. If a foe were raising himself against me, I could hide from him. But it is you, a man like myself, my companion, my close friend, with whom I once enjoyed sweet fellowship as we walked with the throng to the house of God. Church, offense comes from those closest to us. I mean, think about it. Civil wars are always the bloodiest. Brother against brother, man against son, father against son. Attorneys will tell us the most vicious cases are, are found in the divorce court. The possibilities are offense for endless. But can I tell you, the closer you are to someone, the more you have to be aware that they have the ability to offend you. And you've got to learn not to let it happen. For those that are married in this audience, you know what I'm talking about. The longer you're with someone, it was cute when you were dating. It's not cute 10 years into the marriage, right? You know, the little things that just set you on edge, we had to guard against before they become an offense that becomes a root of bitterness that literally destroys. Why is that? Why is it that it comes so easily from those that we know? I'll tell you why. Because we expect more out of them. We expect more out of them, right? We, we, we really give them, we don't give them as much grace as we give somebody else. Because after all, they should know better, right? The higher the expectations, the greater the fall. <laughs> Guys, we don't have to take that. You see, if you understand the nature of offense, in fact, in the original language of the New Testament in the Greek, the word offense really describes what, if you, if you picture a trap, a mouse trap or whatever kind of trap, the, the word offense was, was spoken of as the mechanism where the bait sets on. It's the place you put the cheese. Do everybody understand that? So, so what he's saying is, don't take the cheese. It's always going to be there. It's always going to be available to you, but don't take the cheese. That's why many theologians refer to this cage of offense as the bait of Satan. The Apostle Paul makes it even clearer. He says the danger is that if we take the cheese and we're offended, he says then we really become entrapped into something that we no longer can function in a, in a spiritual-led, spirit-filled way that honors God. He's speaking to Timothy, a young pastor, and he was telling him about this. He says, don't get offended, the people you serve. He said, a servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but must be kind to everyone. 
be able to be, teach, and be patient with difficult people. Now, can I tell you, I read that when God called me in the ministry. I'm like, that's impossible. I'm sorry, God, you're asking too much, okay? I, you know, I love people, but you know what? If they're going to be difficult, you know, I'm sorry, God, but maybe you need to find another guy. And uh, God gave me uh, opportunity to learn and grow <laughs> by surrounding me with difficult people early on in our ministry. Not hope at all. No difficult people here. Can I get an amen? <laughs> You're like, yeah, right. All right. He said in verse 25, gently instruct those who oppose the truth. Perhaps God will change those people's hearts and they will learn the truth. Then they will come to their senses and escape from the devil's trap. For they have been, called, for they have been held captive by him to do whatever he wants. Guys, we need to take this seriously. No matter where the offense comes from, we've got to deal with it. Because there are times when, you know what, humanly speaking, we have every right to be offended. Because there are times that people hurt us on purpose. They hurt us on purpose. They, it's not perceived. It's unjust. It happens. The Bible says this. We live in a day where people become more and more selfish. Lovers of themselves. 2 Timothy 3. But mark this. There will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of whom? Themselves. If I love only me, then I don't have to love you, and I can step on you, and it doesn't matter, right? Because after all, it's all about me. And those are real offenses, but God says we have to deal with those. And then there are those that are the perceived offenses. You know, we, we carry offense because we feel like we've been treated unfairly, and we are convinced that others are wrong, and they've wronged us, and we judge them by assumption. We judge them by, by hearsay, I heard they did this, or we judge them even by appearance. They're just not a friendly person. That's that prickly porcupine the pastor was talking about. Please don't start writing people's names after that description. They're always around us. I can be a prickly porcupine at times, don't say amen. It's just a reality. But we can be perceived to be offended, and these perceived offenses usually the result of, let's listen, unfulfilled expectations. Unfulfilled expectations. You see, we set ourselves up for offense when we require certain behaviors by those with whom we have relationship. In the Old Testament, I, I love the story because uh, from a child, we, we learned it in Sunday school, that dates me, and it was the story of, of Naaman. Does anybody know who Naaman is? Just slip a hand up. He was a Syrian army captain. He had leprosy. And uh, Naaman, uh, a little servant girl, told him, he said, if you want to be healed, there's a man of God, there's a prophet of God that, that you can go to, Elisha, and he will, he will heal you. And Naaman went to him, and it was the, it was the most classic case of offense. Because Elisha came out and looked at him and said, dude, I, I see you got, he didn't say dude, sorry. He said, uh, Naaman, uh, leprosy, bad stuff. But here's the deal. All you got to do, go down to the river of Jordan and dip. Just seven times, up and down, you're done. Well, if I had leprosy, I'd be like, let's get down to the river, right? Let's get this off of me. But no, Naaman got offended. And he said, well, I thought he was a man of God. And I thought for sure he'd come out and like wave his hand and speak in a big pastor's voice and pray over me and the leprosy be healed. But why would I go dip in that river? We have prettier rivers back in Syria. And the servant said, yeah, but in Syria, you still have leprosy. So why don't you go down and dip in the river? You see, it's expectations, unfulfilled expectations. Well, they didn't call me when I was sick. Everybody knew I was sick. I posted it on Facebook. I don't live to wake up and check out your Facebook. Can I tell you that right now? I just don't. But she did encourage me when I was down. And you can tell by my face I was down. You can see little smiley faces upside down on my face, but they didn't encourage me. 
Can I just go off for a second on Facebook? I got time. Watch your testimony on Facebook. If I go to your place, I'm down today. Well, get over it. Go to Jesus and pray. You know, hey, I'm feeling bad today. Well, let's ask God to heal you. But what you're telling the whole world is life stinks and I have nowhere to go. Well, gee, I have God. I can pray. I can believe this is going to be an awesome day because God is my healer. God is my deliverer. God is my strength. In a, he's a strong tower I run into. But every time I put that little testimony out there, I see him, I cringe. I'm like, oh, don't mark Hope Church on that, please. Because we know better. We know better. It's the word of our testimony. I want to expose the myth about, about what we, why we expect so much of each other because it's totally wrong. It's totally wrong to expect so much. It is wrong to expect someone else in this life to make you happy. Do you understand that? It is wrong for you. Listen, newlyweds, it is wrong. You heard this in premarital counseling. It is wrong for you to expect your husband or wife to fulfill your life. God never meant that to be. He said in the book of Philippians 4.19, And my God will meet all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. But here's what we do. We think God's taking a day off. Well, it's my spouse's day to make me happy. No, it's not. I didn't learn this until about 15 years in a marriage. Yeah, didn't, didn't quite get it. Out walking with my, my beautiful wife one day. We were, we were living in Raleigh at the time, and it was a, it was a difficult time. It's when I learned a lot about offense. And, uh, and I, I, we were walking one day, and I said, babe, I, I'm, just, I'm so sorry. I just feel like I'm not making you happy. And she stops and turns to me and says, who said it was your job to make, you, make me happy? That's on me. And I was like, whoa. I'm glad I married a mature wife. Because all these years I thought it was my job to make her happy. Now that doesn't mean I don't try to make her happy. Smart husband, right? But it's not my job. It's nobody's job to make you happy. It's nobody's job to meet your needs outside of God. So here's what happens. If we try to put it on someone else and we try to make them the object of our need and that need to make us happy, here's what happens. We begin to carry offense and according to that scripture we read in the beginning, there becomes a wall about us. We set up walls around us, and all of a sudden, nobody can get near us. We, we guard ourselves because we're not going to get hurt again. We put up walls. We're like, I'm not going to go to a group. I'm not going to get to know that new family. I'm not going Because I don't want to risk being hurt again. And we consume all this injury protecting ourselves instead of just going out and being what God has called us to be. Here's the deal. If we don't risk getting hurt, we really don't love. Because unconditional love always gives others the rights hurt us i'm not talking about physical or emotional abuse those kind of things i'm just saying if you're going to be a believer you're going to open your life up and sometimes people are going to step on the very thing that you thought was generous and you've got to make a choice at that point am i going to be offended by that or am i just going to trust god and say all right god i'm moving forward because love that love according first corinthians 13 does not seek its own but hurt people become more and more self-contained and self-absorbed the longer they bear the hurt and instead of being this river of flowing water, just giving life to everybody, they become like a stagnant pond. It's just not fun to be around. But can I tell you, God has a way out. And that's what I want us to end with today. God has a way out. You see, pride sets in, and we begin viewing ourselves as victims unless we find that way out. And we can justify our own wrong behaviors. And we can sit back and say, well, it's, it's them. It's always them. But so often, it's always us. And here's what happens. If we don't deal with it, we become spiritual vagabonds. We're never able to settle in anywhere into a family of God because, after all, we're guarding hurt and we're not letting others close to us. 
don't know about you, but I don't want to live that way. So how do we not do it? You ready? If you're taking notes, I'll give you real quick. How do, we, how do we not live in offense? Can I tell you, the first way we're going to learn to live without offense is not the way the world says, and that is we cannot shake it off, okay? No matter how cute the song is, no matter how many times you hear it and it makes you want to go insane, you just can't shake it off. I'm not trying to say this morning, hey, pull yourself up, get over yourself, it's all on you. No, no, listen. There's a process God gave us both to learn to not be offended and when we are, to break out from it. So here it is. You see, the Apostle Paul, who's an expert on this, because he, he faced withering criticism all his entire ministry. People misunderstood Paul uh, like nobody else. And he had a hard, hard time with that. But in Acts 24, he made a statement that is so important for us today. In Acts 24, verse 16, he said, So I strive always to keep my conscience clear before God and man. He said, I strive. I make it a point to keep this conscious clear. I'm not going to live in offense and I'm not going to worry about every word I say because I've got to build myself up in a strength that says I am not going to be easily offended. How do you do that? Because that word strive really means build up. It's like exercise. It's like putting the good things in your life. It's, put, it's trusting God to build you up so that when things hit us, because remember Jesus said offense is going to come, they don't stick to us. We become Teflon believers. How many want to be a Teflon believer today? You know what I'm talking about? It just slides right off, right? How do you do that? What's the very things we always talk about? You can't do that unless you know God's Word, unless you study God's Word, unless you get into the Word. We gave you all an incredible resource, and I want to remind you about it all the time. Right now, media, if you're our guest, you haven't received that, if we have an email, we will give this to you. 10,000 Bible study videos of everything you can imagine at your fingertips every week. Here, here's one from the Word, okay? It's unlocking the Bible. It's an incredible quick Bible study that teaches you how to make sense of the Bible. Sometimes people don't read because they make the mistake of like starting out in Lamentations. If the first book I've read was Lamentations, I don't think I would have gone on to another book either. <laughs> Come on. There's a reason it's called Lamentations. That's why I tell people to start in John. But if you need to learn God's Word, take advantage. There's, there's another way you build yourself up. It's worship. We were talking about it earlier. Worship is not standing in a place in a church somewhere listening to music. Worship is something we do all the time. Wherever we are, our work is worship. That's what our community group is studying on Wednesday nights. Our, our activity with our family is worship. When we gather, there are ways that God wants us to worship. There's an entire worship conference on right now, media called Austin Stone Worship Conference. It is awesome. Spend some time into that. Prayer. You know, guys, I, I've learned that prayer is the most effective way to keep me from being offended. Because when I pray God's blessing over people, then I'm releasing them from, from having to fulfill my expectations of them. When I'm trusting God in prayer to say, God, take their life and use it for your glory, then I, I release them from my expectations of how they're supposed to do that. But prayer, Francis Chan has this incredible prayer teaching on there. You, you, you can check it out on Right Now Media. Serving. When you serve, it has a way of releasing people you know, I love this morning, and thank you again for all that showed up to, to make this happen. It, it's kind of fun. It's crazy. We're sweating. We're running. People are like trying to stare. But nobody's like, well, you're offending me because, you know, you didn't, you didn't ask me to hold that pole. No, we're working together. You know, you have a problem, go hold babies, man. They have a good way of making you forget about offenses. And there's another way, and that's fellowship. And guys, we're going to hit this so much. Make it a point to be together. 
Make it a point to come together in community groups, in chili cook-offs, in men's gatherings, women's gatherings, wherever you can be. Why? Because the more we're around each other, the more we recognize none of us are perfect. Can I get a witness? And when you release people from the perfection mentality, then guess what? They don't easily offend you. So the first thing we got to do is we got to build ourselves up. The second thing is this, and, and this is hard, but I can tell you it, it's powerful. And that is we need to pray for them as if you would pray for yourself. Pray for them as if you would pray for yourself. Matthew 5, but I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that they may be children of your Father in heaven. I, I have taught this before, and, and those that have been with us know this. When you pray for someone, you're releasing God's best into their lives. And I think one of the hardest things to do when you've been offended is to pray for someone honestly. Because our honesty is like, you know, we get all psalms, like the real bad psalms. Like, God, rain fire on their head, Lord. Let them, get, let them, let them contract the disease that they will never, never, ever wish they'd met me before, God. And we would be like David, you know. We're just like, kill them. But the way you break out of offense, you say, God, what would, I, what would I want them to pray for my life? God, I pray health over them. God, I, I pray your witness over them. God, I pray your love. God, I pray they walk in peace. I pray they walk in joy. I told you earlier, I, I know a little bit about it being offended. For I walked in it for about four years until I came out of a deception of it. And I remember praying, and in my prayer, I'd go, but God, I want to say I hate that person. But your Bible says I can't do that. But God, I, I, don't, I don't want to feel like I'm being fake around them, because I always had to be around them a lot, and and you talk about porcupines, we were just like avoiding each other because it's like, don't get near me. And I remember one day, God made this very real in my heart. I was praying for them. I was like, God bless them. Yeah. And I remember the Holy Spirit spoke to my heart like, what do you mean by that? What do you mean what I mean? Bless, you know what bless is. Come on, God, you created the word. Bless. He goes, what do you think it means? And I started praying. Specific blessing over them. I started just praying God's work over them. Can I tell you, I can be around that person any time now. I don't feel the prickly porcupine anymore because I chose to release them. Does it mean I need to be their best friend and go have coffee with them? No. I have met people, listen, it's hard. Some of you come out of broken relationships, broken homes. Some things have done some really bad things to you or towards you. It doesn't mean in releasing that you have to go back and be their best friend. Now let's go sit down and have dinner together. But it does mean you cannot carry offense in your heart toward them any longer. And the number one way to break that is begin to pray for them. Release them and let God work in their lives. And finally today, take every thought captive. Take every thought captive because I'm going to tell you, you don't forgive once. Can I get an amen? You forgive over and over and over and over until one day you realize, I don't have anything to forgive anymore. I've released them to God. And we have this a marvelous ability, according to God's word in 2 Corinthians 10, that says this. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. What I was describing today is an offense. That's what it is, stronghold. We have divine power to demolish strongholds. And we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every what? Thought. Every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Say, so how do you do that, Mike? How do you do that? <laughs> every time that image of that person comes up in your mind and something wants to cringe inside of you, 
you stop and say, I am not taking the bait. I'm not taking the bait. I release them to God. I pray blessing on their life. I'm not taking the bait. In church, you do that again and again and again and again. And before long, you don't worry if you run into them at Walmart. It won't matter. Because you can smile at them genuinely and say, God bless you. And mean it with all your heart. You see, guys, this cage is one we've got to break out of. This cage is one we can't stay in. This cage has such destructive power to it that if we don't deal with it, guys, then we will never be able to fulfill all the things God has called us to be as we witness to people who are lost and far from him. It all begins by having that heart that is settled in God and saying, God, I can, I can walk before you in man. So I, I really, I told you when we started this message, I would rather preach on other things. I really would. But here's what I know. In this world, Jesus said, offense has come. And I'm looking out this morning, I know so many of your stories, and I go, in my flesh, I want to sit with you and go, you have every right, but that's flesh. And I would say to you this morning that though it's hard, it's in the hard places that God becomes very real. It's in the hard places that God becomes fully God.